Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, my name is John. Glad to be here. Those of you that don't know me, uh, I get to, they still let me work here after 20 years. And uh, so fun. We just spent, John and I were in Denver this week with our younger staff that are uh, taking seminary classes and as part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And uh, the pastor midwinter conference was this week. And so they were all taking a class and it was a great chance for us to help connect them in the network of relationships. And uh, they're in that stream of growing and learning. It's super fun uh, to be part of that. And fun to be part of a church that's investing in next generation leaders. We have uh, Brandon and DJ and Rob and Cozy and Kelly that were your money, part of your money goes to help them uh, grow and learn and develop and be trained as they are in training for uh, becoming pastors and vocational ministers. So thank you for your giving and your investment. Uh, it is making a difference in who the church will become in the years ahead. So bless you for that. I want to start this morning, I had a conversation last week after our gathering in here, and then I received a subsequent email uh, from a friend, uh, many of you know Forrest, and here's, here's just a soundbite from our conversation and the email he sent. Uh, for me, growing up in the church was like being handed a set of postcards from national parks. And so I was able to experience the national parks in our country through looking at the postcards and going, oh, those look great. But, but in a sense, what he was saying is that was the extent of my experience. And here we are in this series called Stuck in the Visitor Center, and we've been uh, drilling down and pressing deeper into, for so many people, your experience of God's kingdom, of, of knowing who God is, and living that bigger, better story, your story's just kind of right here, that, that church is the visitor center, and if this is all you're experiencing, you're missing out on the adventure that's out there, the adventure that's out in the trails, up in the lakes, the waterfalls. If I were to tell you, and I, I share this every week, I went to Yosemite, I got into the visitor center and I was so enamored by the little films they show you and man, I bought an awesome book on Yosemite and I bought about 10 postcards to send to you all to say, hey, Yosemite is the most amazing place, you ought to check it out. But I never, never ever saw Half Dome or El Cap, I never went into the back country, I never saw Bridal Veil Falls. You'd say, well, wait a minute, you, you've missed out, right? And so this series is really motivated to inspire you wherever you are spiritually on your journey. We're, say, we're, we're, we're wanting to, in a sense, provoke you to jealousy, to say, to compel you to, to, to understand there is so much more 
than just Sunday morning and going to church, that God has a dream for you and for me to live a better story, a bigger story, to, to, to in a sense, understand that you and I are ordinary people, but God is inviting us to live an extraordinary life by following Jesus, not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly, and learning to love everyone always. That, my friends, is an adventure that is worth living for. It's worth getting up every morning to seek God and to lean into and live out his dream for your and my life. So today, we're in part two. Last week, it, the series is Connect, Grow, Serve. Last week was Grow, but we had too much, so we decided let's turn the Grow uh, sermon into two parts. And uh, it's just a quick disclaimer. This morning's message is going to be like drinking out of a fire hydrant. I hope maybe you have a pencil or a pen. Take your program notes. What we're going to look at here is I'm going to share with you uh, the research that's been done from two sources. One is from Fuller Theological Seminary. Fuller was in uh, the loft a couple of years ago. A team of people, they were talking to us, collaborating about doing a partnership. And in their findings, they said, there are some catalysts that through our research are, are, are really helpful in helping people grow. We've just discovered that there are three key things that help every believer grow, that, they, that every person that's following Jesus, there are three things you need to build into your life. Then Andy Stanley, who's out of Atlanta, he has a church of like 20,000 people. He wrote a book called, I think it's called Deep and Wide. And in that book, that church did research with over 20,000 people about catalysts for spiritual growth. And they came up with, these are the catalysts that we've discovered through research, through interviews, through feedback. These are the main things. We're going to take the mystery out of it this morning. And if you're wondering how, that's the question we're answering, not why. Last week was why. You can watch the video. This week is how. I actually want to grow, but I don't know how to do it. And I, I believe that there are some of you here this morning that that's exactly where you, I want to grow. I'm ready to grow, but I don't know how. And so I'm going to share with you seven catalysts for spiritual growth, that you're in a place where you're saying, I'm ready. I'm eager. I'm ready to become the person that God wants me to become. And I want to learn how to do that. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 give us a biblical foundation Paul says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. I'm going to just stop right there. He's making an assumption there. He's saying you've taken the first step. Spiritual birth happens when you accept Christ into your life as the Savior, to, as your rescuer, and as your Lord, the one who now is, in a sense, the CEO of your life. Jesus is calling the shots once he becomes Lord. That word actually means master. And a follower of Jesus, a Christian, is somebody who is living a fully surrendered life, saying, Lord, I want you to have your way in me, all right? What Paul is, is, is assuming here is, is to this church in Colossae, he's saying, you've accepted him now. You've, you've been born spiritually. And now that you've done that, here's what he says. You must continue to follow him. I'm going to stop again. Not in my notes, but I just think in the church we're filled with people who go, I got saved. I raised my hand. I've been born spiritually. I'm all good. I got my hell insurance. I'm all good. 
But that's not what this says. It says we are on a journey. And just as you and I have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you, doesn't say should, you must continue. That's journey language. Follow him. You must continue to follow him. It's, it's directional. It's not just, I did it. I raised my hand. Now I just go on living my life any way I want. That's not what the Bible teaches. Verse 7, let your roots grow down into him. And let your lives be built on him. Two metaphors, plant, garden language, let your roots, right? We all know that for a garden to grow, a plant to grow, you got to weed it and feed it. You got to weed it and feed it. You got to water. You got to put some nutrients in there. You got to let the sun shine on it, right? Plants, gardens don't grow on their own. I know my garden does. My wife was out in the garden yesterday all day. God bless you, by the way. I hate gardening. But I just know spiritually, I got to tend to my spiritual life like a gardener in the garden. You got to be intentional. I have to be intentional. And so do you. So what's it say? Let your your roots grow down deep into him. Let your lives be built on him. That's the metaphor of a builder. Again, homes, construction, it's intentional. There's a blueprint. There's a game plan. You don't want to have a whole bunch of different set of blueprints when you're building a home. That would make no sense at all. It would be complete insanity. God's given us the blueprint for how to live that bigger story, how to become the person, that man, that woman that he dreams for you to become. And so then what does it say? Then your faith will grow strong. That's God's desire for my life. He wants my faith to grow strong, stronger, and yours too. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. That's one of the signs that you're mature, that you're growing in your faith. Your life overflows with gratitude, with thankfulness. And maybe this morning you're here and you're like, that's not me. I got a chip on my shoulder. My family thinks or would describe me more like Eeyore. Or a question that I'm afraid to ask my family is, which one of the seven dwarves am I? inside joke, but don't ask your family that, or maybe you should. My daughter sometimes says I'm grumpy. That's why I say that. (laughs) So how do we grow? We're going to rip through these seven catalysts. I want you to maybe think of it in terms of the visitor center. Maybe you think of these seven catalysts like a trail map. You're in the national park. There's so much more out there. Rather than be overwhelmed by all seven, maybe today you're, you're going you're gonna, to, at the end of this message, just pick one. This is the trail for me in this next season of life. This is, this is the adventure that God is calling me into here in the next three months. Maybe between now and, and Easter, you might say, I'm going to pick one of these seven, and I'm going to get real intentional about allowing this catalyst to be... Uh, the one I choose that's going to help me grow deeper, stronger, more in love with God and give me the capacity 
to love everyone. The people God puts right in front of me, the people I live with and work with, the people that, I, that I'm in friendship with, my roommates, my family, my friends, those people that I am maybe going, oh, those are the tough ones for me to love. God is calling you and me to enter into, to embrace, to grow in our capacity to love. So here they are. You ready? If you've got a pen, we're going to rip through these. Number one, in terms of the catalyst, it's life-changing truth. Life-changing truth. You might think of scripture and speakers, but God uses his word. It's the number one tool to transform us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, let the word of Christ live or dwell in you richly. That means you got to let God's word get in your heart. You got to somehow find a way to get it in there. And then what does it say? Apply. Uh, flooding you with all wisdom. That word wisdom means skillful living. We talked about that last week. Skillful living. You're going to get better at living your life and loving people around you when you allow the Word of God to get in you. And then the next phrase, you apply the Scriptures as you teach and instruct one another. We all know Christians that have, they can memorize a whole psalm, but they're jerks to be around. That, that is not God's dream for our lives, that we would know the Bible, but we would be abrasive, and we would be flaky, and we'd be irresponsible, and our family would be like, man, that guy's toxic. Don't, you know. No, that's not God's dream. God's dream is that we would apply the Scripture, not just know it here, but not, it would move from here to here and then out in the way I treat people that your family, your immediate and extended family would feel like they're the most loved people and the people you work with would feel like they're the most loved people by you. That's God's dream. And so how do we do that? How do we get the word of God in? We got to read it. You got to open it and then reflect, chew on it, meditate on it, and then respond to it. Some of you are listening to podcasts Man, today, it's so easy to get God's Word. There are, there are podcasts, there are great speakers all over the world that you can listen to. There are devotions that you can get online, in your phone. There's devotional hard copy books. I mean, it's never been easier to get God's Word into your life. I mean, just think about 100 years ago or 50, whenever it was, all you had was the, the King James Version, the thou and the thee, and people are going, whoa, I don't even... I mean, there were periods of the, of the history of the church where it was really hard to get... God's word into your heart. But today it's so, so accessible. And maybe today this is the catalyst for you. You're like, I don't even know how to do that. I pick up the Bible and it's like reading Mandarin. I need help. Mark that on your card. I actually want help. Could somebody coach me and help me learn how to read the Bible and apply it to my life, this life-changing truth? Here's the second one shortening the gap, second catalyst, shortening the gap between knowing and doing. The word is obedience. Psalm 119, how can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? John chapter 14, 21, Jesus said this to his followers, the one who obeys me is the one who loves me. 
We don't obey him so that he will love us. That's not biblical thinking. We respond. The word obedience means respond. We respond because we are loved. If I know what makes my wife feel loved and I don't do it, love's a choice. I'm choosing not to love her. But if I know she feels so loved when I do the dishes, when I take out the trash, right? you know, and I choose not to do it, I'm not loving her. But, but if I know it and I do it, it's the way I'm, I'm, in a sense, responding, obeying. We think of obedience as like a taskmaster versus responding in a love relationship. Does that make sense? So this gap. Last night, you were snarky, and you bit somebody's head off. You were abrasive. And you went home, and you felt really bad about yourself. You're like, oh, gosh, I can't believe I did that. Have you ever had that experience, by the way? Right? Now, what you do with that, Holy Spirit putting that in your heart, that conviction like, oh, I bit my wife's head off last night. That gap between knowing it and then what you do. Hey, honey, I am so sorry. I didn't mean to treat you that way. Do I wait 10 seconds, a minute, five hours, five days, five months? What's the gap between knowing what you should do and actually doing it? You've been hurt by someone. You're on the receiving end of having your head bit off by a family member, a colleague, whatever. And now you're feeling resentful. You got a chip on your shoulder. You see them and it's like, uh-oh, and you, you go into a, another room or another office. You're avoiding contact because you know that God says, I, I need to forgive that person, but I'm not doing it yet. I'm not ready yet. What's the gap, the distance between knowing and doing Choosing to forgive to set the prisoner free, realizing the prisoner's you and me when we choose not to forgive. Are you with me? This gap is a sign of how we grow spiritually. It's how we mature. As we grow stronger and deeper in faith, that gap gets smaller and smaller so that when I sense the Spirit of God convicting me or nudging me or inviting me and calling me to make a godly choice that might be hard and difficult, rather than procrastinating and waiting, the more mature I get, the shorter the gap in that distance. Romans chapter 8. I have some words on the screen for us. I want you to just think about this, because there's a battle going on right now. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature Think about sinful things. So think, think about as your mind. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Let's stop right there for a second. When I allow my selfishness to control my mind, it leads to death of relationships, death to integrity, death to my character, death. There's a lot of ways to, to, for us to be separated or, or to die, right? To kill off stuff. 
But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. That's the gap. I'm being led by the Spirit of God. I'm responsive. I sense a nudge to make a spiritual choice, decision, commitment. I'm right there. I'm saying yes. Yes, God, I'm ready. What, what do you want me to do? The answer is yes. And what does that lead to? Life and peace. And then later on in Romans 8, verse 12, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your selfish, sinful nature urges you to do. See, our selfishness is urging us not to say, I'm sorry. It's urging us to live for ourselves. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not initiating that. I'm waiting for them to call me, Right? But you're not obligated to do that, what what your sinful nature is urging you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die spiritually. You'll just be separated from God and your most important relationships. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your spiritual nature, again, think about selfishness, you will live. I use those verses because... There's our selfishness, and then there's our spirit-led. And followers of Jesus, we have the spirit of Jesus living in us. That's biblical theology. It's God puts his spirit in us when we accept him into our lives. And so now we have to make those decisions moment by moment. Am I following the spirit, or am I following what I want and my selfishness? When we shorten that gap, it's the way that we grow and mature in our faith. All right, let's keep going. Number three, spiritual practices, rhythms. Another phrase, spiritual disciplines. A great book, Richard Foster, is a classic. My youth pastor gave it to me in college. It's called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. If you've never read that book, do yourself a favor and read that book this year. Put that on your, and, and as Walt Hansen, an old friend of our church and mentor in my life, he said to me a long time ago when I told him, I read 24 books a year, and he said, how many do you reread? And I went, reread? I don't reread any. And he goes, there are some books worth rereading. And I would say Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster is a book that is worth rereading. Maybe it's been 20 years since you've read it, or 10 years. Pick it up again and let it inform you and shape you. But spiritual practices, rhythms, disciplines, they are a catalyst, a proven catalyst for helping you and me grow. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says this, train yourself to be godly. Now notice that it doesn't say, try hard to be godly. There's a difference between training and trying. Ask those that are running the LA Marathon for Team World Vision. You get, you're not, they're not just going to show up on March 24th and try and run the marathon. They are in training. There's a whole calendar of, of what they're supposed to do each day. Three miles this day, seven miles that day. The big run is Saturday morning. They ran 15, I think, uh, yesterday. And then this is a day off. And, then, and that training is preparing them and is growing them and will help them on race day to run and complete and finish the LA Marathon. The same is true in the spiritual life. We don't just try hard, we train. 
We get in shape. We're spiritually fit by building rhythms, practices into our life. I have a quote from the Renovare team. Those of you that aren't familiar with Renovare uh, resources and ministry, just write that word down, Renovare, and Google it. They have, they're like the experts here on spiritual practices. Listen to this. They say that a spiritual discipline or practice is an intentionally directed action by which we do what we can do in order to receive from God the ability or power to do what we cannot do by direct effort. The spiritual disciplines in and of themselves have no merit whatsoever. Did you hear that? The spiritual disciplines, getting up and reading my Bible every morning, in and of itself has no merit whatsoever. It doesn't, I read my Bible, check the box. That has no merit. It's like my friend, I've told this story, Chuck Wysong, his son, Stephen, when he was a little guy, I was at their house in Chicago. He came running downstairs and said, Dad, I love you. And then he ran off. And I, and I was sitting right there. And I'm like, what, what, what was that? And he said, oh, one of the things our kids have to do every day is tell us they love us. And I went, whoa, that didn't feel very authentic. He was like he had, and he did, he had a list of things he was supposed to do, and he just ran, I love you, and ran out. And I think sometimes that's what we think quiet time is. I love you, check the box, and I'm off. That's, no, that's not what the spiritual disciplines are for. To complete the quote, the spiritual disciplines in and of themselves have no merit whatsoever. They possess no righteousness, contain no rectitude. Their purpose, their only purpose, is to place us before God. To place us open before God. Okay, I'm ready, God. Speak to me. God, move in my heart. God, make me into the man you want me to be. Show me the path, the right path. Remind me, forgive me, convict me, comfort me, strengthen me, whatever it is, but I'm before God. And I'm paying attention. I'm listening. I'm open. That's the purpose. And this applies to why we gather every week and we worship. Not to check the box. We're here to to cry out how much we need God in desperation, to remind ourselves that we're loved by him. And we sing these terrific, wonderful, worshipful songs to hear from God, to praise God, to adore him, to tell him how much we love him, but then to let him love us in the process. But it also applies to giving of our money, to serving, to attending a small group. These are all rhythms, practices. Our, our, um, our staff went on a retreat a couple weeks ago. And one of the things we had our staff do is go away by yourself. And for 2019, what are going to be your spiritual rhythms and practices this year? What are you committing to to create space for God to slow down and to allow God to speak to you so that you become the man, the woman that God dreams for you to become? And in my own journal, I, I divided my spiritual rhythms this way. What am I going to practice daily? How am I going to engage in spiritual practices daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly? And maybe that helps you where you are, you know. 
What practices might you build into your life to slow down to practice daily? And then maybe there's some things that you should do or one thing weekly and monthly and annually. Um, so I'll tell you one of mine. And I'm going to challenge you to do it with me in 2019. First thing you do when you wake up, do not look at your cell phone. Do not look at a screen. Do not check email. Do not check texts. Do not turn on Good Morning America. First, get your coffee or your tea or whatever you do, or if you don't do any of that, your juice or your kombucha or whatever it is you guys drink today. And... Uh, and get quiet. Get quiet. Invite the Lord to speak to you through prayer, through journal, through opening the scriptures. Read a psalm a day. Read a proverb a day. Read a gospel passage about the life of Jesus. Just a few verses a day and ask God, to, what does this teach me about Jesus? What does this teach me about myself? Before you get to your screen, and now you're off into your day, you're stressed out, you're, you know, Lord, speak to me. Help me right here before my day gets going. It will change your life. It will. And I'm committing to no screens before I connect with God every morning. All right, I got to keep moving because I'm running out of time here. Number four. Geez, we're only on number four. We got to get to seven. Here we go. Number four is special life-giving relationships. Life-giving relationships. In the story of Jonathan and David, King David, he had a buddy. His name was Jonathan. In fact, in chapter 18, it says that when they met, they had an immediate bond between each other. And it says they became best of friends. And then if you follow five chapters later in 1 Samuel chapter 23, David is running for his life. In fact, Jonathan's dad, Saul, is chasing him down, trying to kill him. And David is in a cave. And in verse, verses 14 through 16 of 1 Samuel 23, there's this little, little phrase there. It says, Jonathan went to find David. Jonathan went to find David. That's intentionality. That's initiating a life-giving relationship. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. So let me ask you a question. Do you have friends that know when you're hiding in a cave, in a dark place, when you're struggling, suffering, afraid, overwhelmed, you got heartache, you're being crushed by fear? Who, who's seeking, initiating you out and saying, finding you in your cave and reminding you that you're not alone, that God is with you, helping you find strength in God? Now, a more important question isn't who's doing that for you. For you to grow, who are you doing that for? Who are you initiating that relationship? It's life-giving. It's not obligation. You're going... This is my brother. We're, we're friends. We're soulmates. We, we, we enjoy being together. And we're talking about spiritual things together. We're talking about things that matter, our most important relationships. And we're supporting each other and we're praying for each other. Do you have a Jonathan in your life if you're David? And if you're Jonathan, do you have a David in your life that you're pursuing, you're initiating? This will help you grow. 
spiritually. John Orberg says, make life-giving relationships a priority. These aren't ob obligation, obligatory relationships. These are the life-giving, the people that you're going, man, I just enjoy so much hanging out with this person. Make that relationship a priority and bring the important matters into that relationship. Bring the spiritual matters into that relationship. Encourage each other to stay strong in your faith. Number five, serve in ministry. Serve in ministry. You grow by getting involved. Bottom line, that changed my life in college. I became a, a volunteer youth leader in the high school group at First Covenant Church Oakland. And I started discipling sophomores, 10th graders in high school. And I was a sophomore in college. And my sophomore and high school students, sometimes I felt like they were more mature than I was. I was like, I am so inadequate. But you know what that did? That made me get on my knees and say, God, I need you. I don't even know what I'm doing discipling these kids, but help me. Help me, Lord, help me. When you help others grow, you grow. I was on a, a bike ride with uh, the Team World Vision crew yesterday, and I was talking to, interviewing, uh, just to see if the research that uh, I'm pulling on from today, that people in our church would affirm it. I asked Greg Carlson, what is the one catalyst that helps you grow the most? And he had a few, but he said, one was, and is, he said, it's when I led a book club with Lori. He goes, I'm, leading, I'm helping others grow. We would pick a spiritual book, and we'd read it together, and I would facilitate and lead the discussion. Helping other people grow. I felt so inadequate, but it helped me to grow in my faith. If you want to grow, you start helping others grow. Start discipling some other people. Start serving, finding your sweet spot in ministry, and getting engaged in that. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you has been blessed. Each of you has been blessed. With what? With one of God's many wonderful gifts. Why would God give us wonderful gifts? To be used for myself. Oh, no, that's not what it says. To be used in the service of others. So... Use your gift well. You want to grow? Start serving others. The Renovare team, here's their definition of service. Loving, thoughtful, active. Loving, thoughtful, active. Promotion of the good of others and the causes of God in our world. Through which... We experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. God, that is so powerful when I read that. See, service, I have to crucify myself. I have to die to myself. I want to be served. I don't want to serve. I want to be served. But when I'm going to help others grow, there's a lot of times I'd rather stay at home and watch Netflix, but no, I got to go lead my small group. And there's a dying to my selfishness through my commitment to serve others. And so it helps me to grow because John Ireland is dying and Jesus is being formed in me. 
when I make all of those little choices, and you do too, of living and going beyond ourselves. Number six, catalyst for growing spiritually. You still with me? All right, here we are. Number six, annual camps, retreats, and road trips. Getting away annually for an extended period of time. Mark chapter 6, verse 31, we see it modeled in the life of Jesus. There was a swirl of activity around Jesus. You could actually put your name in there. There was a swirl of activity around you. With so many people coming and going that they were unable to even eat a meal. That sounds like they're exhausted. Anybody else feel exhausted? I know a lot of you young moms do. So Jesus said to his disciples, come, let's take a break. What? That's a novel idea. But how am I going to do that? Well, you figure it out. Come, let's take a break and find a secluded place where you can rest a while. That's getting a way to retreat to listen to God, creating space, extended time. Young moms, ask your husbands. I want you to watch the kids for the weekend. And if they say no, then you send me an email and I will talk to your husbands. (laughs) That's part of what we do to help each other grow. We support each other. And I just think about secluded place. That's where repair happens in our soul. Renewal, getting your spiritual batteries recharged because you're drained, you're depleted. Once a year, you have something to look forward to. You go to Mount Hermon camp, the Man Up Retreat just here in a few weeks up in Mission Springs. We've taken several people to the Bethel Worship Conference, and people's lives are being transformed because they're hearing from God. They're getting renewed through Three days together worshiping and singing and opening their hearts, our hearts, to Christ. But there's other ways to do it, too. It's not just going to a Christian conference. Some of you are like, "Eh, I've done that. It's not my thing. There's other groups of men in this church that go backpacking, get into the outdoors, into the Sierras, or river rafting, or cycling, or hiking, trekking, the whole thing. I mean, it's just cross-country skiing. I went away with a few guys a couple years ago. We, went, we did that whole Glacier Point in Yosemite cross-country skiing. It was a phenomenal experience and spiritually recharging to be with a couple of buddies in the outdoors, connecting, exercising in the wind. It was, I'm not a cross-country skier, but it was an amazing experience. And the conversations that happen and the times of prayer together, they're, they're renewing. Mission trips... Here's the bottom line. Mark Batterson says, a change of pace plus a change of place equals a change of, say it with me, perspective. And some of you this morning need a change of perspective. Your life's in constant drama. You're tired all the time, exhausted, burned out, wiped out. A change of pace plus a change of place will change your perspective. So quit being a victim. Quit being a martyr. Quit making excuses. Make a commitment today. I'm going to do that in 2019. I'm going to figure this one out, and I'm going to break away and get away. 
extended weekend to hear from God. And then here's the last one, then I'm done. It's significant struggles. Wait, what? Do you know God uses struggles? Pivotal circumstances is what Andy Stanley calls it. To grow us up. It's not something we choose. It's a time in our lives when something shifts, when something is hard. You're in a season of infertility and you want to get pregnant and you're praying and God, you feel like, is not hearing you and all your friends are getting pregnant and having kids and you're not. Some of you, it's financially, you're just tapped out. You're going bankrupt. You're like drowning. Your expenses are exceeding your income and there's no way out and you're praying and praying For others of you, you're going through a divorce. You're going through a hard time relationally. Your family is blowing up. Or you're not yet, but you're sitting there quietly going, this ain't working. And you've been praying and praying and praying and praying. And you're struggling. And we could go on, health setbacks. Or you're watching your own kids struggle. I had a friend tell me last week, you know, we're as happy as our unhappiest kid, you know. Your kid's not making friends. Your kid's not getting a job, and they're 30 years old. Your kid's, you know, getting C minuses, or, well, that's okay, but you're, they're getting, they're getting D. De- What's the saying? C's get degrees, baby. All right. I'm a career 2.4, and I got my doctorate. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Anyways, James 1, 2 through 4, I woke you up. James 1, 2 through 4. My friends, be glad even if you have a lot of trouble. You know that you learn to endure by having your faith tested. But you must learn to endure everything so that, so that. Why do I have to endure this season of struggle? So that you will be completely what? Mature and not lacking in anything. And so we always have a choice when we're going through hard times. Am I going to blame God, accuse God, be disappointed in God? Or am I going to persevere, hang in there, hang on to God, choose to trust that God is with me in the dark valley? I always think of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Read his story. This guy was a class act, full of integrity. He was a winner. And you know what? Every time he did the right thing, bad things happened to him. And he was a godly man. And it was like, wait, I'm doing the right thing. And how can this happen? I'm getting thrown in prison. I'm getting thrown in a, in a cistern. But I'm doing the right thing. And yet at the end of his life, in Genesis 50, after his brothers had betrayed him and they were alienated and now they get reunited. And here's what he said to his brothers. You intended to harm me. That's the struggle the significant struggle. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. God brought me to this place, this position, for another purpose, a greater purpose. There's a purpose in our struggles so that I could save the lives of many. Wow, so good. I'm going to stop there. Stand up with me. I'm going to invite the band to come up. So here's what I'm not going to let you do today. 
I'm not going to let you stand there and go, oh, man, no, okay, that was a scale of 1 to 10, that was a 4. Jeez, oh. John, you're being generous, you know. No, that was... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on you to respond to what you just heard. I'm going to call on you to respond. Because otherwise you're going to walk out of here and go, do those seven things, man, I don't even know. And you, maybe you took notes and it'll be in the trash by tonight and you're just going to be the same person. I'm not going to let that happen. That's not why we're here today. We grow by making spiritual commitments. I want you to commit to one of those seven things right here, right now. Put your hand on your heart. I don't know what that one thing is, but, but right now, right here, in the quietness of your heart, close your eyes for just a moment. Just quietly in your heart, choose one of those. If you're ready, if you're willing, say, God, I want to grow up. I'm tired of being a spiritual baby. Tired of following you for 30 years and still having an anger, explosive, reactive anger issue, still acting out sexually in unhealthy ways, still just being a dirtbag to live with, whatever it is, greedy, deceitful around money, unhealthy relationships. God, today I want you to increase in my life. If that's you, just right where you are, say, God, so I want to grow this year. And here's one of the seven catalysts that I'm going to make a commitment today. That's the easy part. Now I want you to come down to this pit. If you're serious about that commitment, I want you to come down to this pit. We're going to sing a prayer that this song is so powerful. This is going to be your prayer to seal the commitment you just made. You're going, well, there's not enough room for everybody here. I'd love that to be our problem this morning. I want you to come down to the front if you're willing to make a spiritual commitment for one of those seven cattle. Just come right now. Don't look at other people. Just come down right here right now and say, I'm willing, I'm ready, God, and let this song be the prayer that seals it in your heart. Just come right here. Cry out to God. Make that commitment. Those of you that are in the balcony, just go to the front row in the balcony. How about that? Go to the front row in the balcony. Okay, let's sing together. And let this be the cry of your heart. Let this prayer seal your commitment to say, this year I want to get out of the visitor center. And I want to grow up and become the man, the woman that Jesus wants me to become, to live that bigger, better, best story that he dreams for me to live.